0: This is not coffee, by the way, it's just water. I uh, don't want you to think I'm swigging coffee just to get pumped up. Um, uh, if you're visiting here today, my name is Pastor Dennis. It's nice, it's great to have you, it's great to see you. Um, let me tell you something pretty cool about our community. Um, one of the things I love, and I tell people this all the time, one of the things I love coming about, um, to church and coming to Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church It's because you guys are a group of believers who love the Lord, and you sing out, and your Christianity is real, and that's an encouragement to me as a pastor, and so it's an honor and a privilege to come up here every Sunday and proclaim Christ, because I know that you, you all believe in the gospel and the power of the gospel. And so when I come to church and I proclaim Christ and I lift Christ up, you see it and you lay hold of it. And I want to encourage uh, you, if you're visiting, man, I, I pray that you're in a church where that's being done. Because we have no hope apart from Christ, and, and that's going to come out a little bit today as we go in to the section of Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we'll read verse 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. But all this I laid to heart, Examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. To the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the heart of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun." Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge of wisdom and shield to which you are going. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen, and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the blessing of worship. And so now I pray, um, this is your people and this is your word. Connect the two together, that our hearts may be encouraged and filled. Bless us now, I pray, as the proclamation of your word goes out, that your people are filled and they walk out with a greater love and understanding of In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen. Philosophers tell us that there are three great existential questions each and every one of us ask ourselves on a regular basis. Where did I come from? Who am I? And where do I go when I die? At some point in your life, you will ask yourself those three questions. And the book of Ecclesiastes actually uh, addresses all three of those questions. But it's the final question that he spends the bulk of his time talking about, death. Now, if, if I am uh, a walking contradiction in that I'm smiling as I mentioned death, there's a reason for that. You know, for the past two weeks, I have stared at the reality of death, and I've plumbed the depths. And after plumbing the depths, I went where Solomon wants us to go today. I went to the abyss. And having gone to the abyss and looked at what Solomon says about death, I also looked at something else, and that's the face of Christ. Because hear me today, without Christ, death is scary. Now, we have a lot of young people in here today, and I know you didn't come here to hear about death, I know if you're in here today, you probably thought, well, wonder what Pastor Dennis is going to preach on. And probably the last thing you thought about is death. But I could promise you, death is exactly what all of us need. Why is that? Because Solomon says that death is like spiritual smelling salts. See, if you think of, spirit, if you think of smelling salts, what is smelling salts? What, what is smelling salts? Well, smelling salts is something that's pungent. The moment you smell it, you're like, oh my goodness. It wakes you up. And so what Solomon is doing in this passage is waking us up to the reality of death. And especially young people, one of the things that this world is really bad at is preparing you to die. And because the world is really bad at preparing you to die, that explains why young people in general live so poorly. Because as we'll see, Solomon says, unless you understand the reality of death, there is no way you can live wisely in God's kingdom. There's no way you could truly appreciate what God has for you. And so, yes, we're going to look at death. And my prayer is that as we look at death, we don't walk out of here sad. We don't walk out of here depressed. The exact opposite. We can face the fear of death. We can look death in the eyes and say, glory be to God, we've been delivered from real death because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I got excited a little bit when I started studying death. And I got excited today to talk about death. And so, so let's not be morbid. right? I know we're used to talking about death at funerals. But this morning, I want to talk about death, because that's where the text takes us. And I want you to go on a journey with me. Everybody ready? This is a fun journey. Oh, calm down. You'll You'll see. It's a fun journey. It really is. Now, the first thing that Solomon wants us to do with this text is this. Solomon faces us with the reality that death is a conquering enemy. Death is a conquering enemy. Notice in the text, in verse number two and in verse number three, he says, it is the same for all. The it that he's talking about there is death. It is the same for all. And then in verse number three, he says, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to us all. He's talking about death. Death happens to everyone, Solomon says. It's the great enemy. In fact, you can't understand death in the Bible without understanding that it is an enemy. Uh, What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, 26? It's the last enemy that will be destroyed. And so Solomon brings us face-to-face with this reality that death is an enemy, but he also brings us face-to-face with the reality is that death is the enemy that none of us can conquer. Instead, Solomon says, it will conquer us. And like any true and formidable enemy, death threatens us. And he mentions three things in this passage that cause us to fear death as the great enemy. The first thing he mentions is that death brings the fear of loss. Notice with me in verse number five. He says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward. This reality that one of the things that death does to us is it robs us of reward. In other words, it takes from us something. There's a sense of loss. I remember when my mother died, uh, I went into a room, and one of my responsibilities was to go through her stuff, and as I was going through her stuff and packing all of her stuff, everything that was in the room reminded me of her. And she died and left behind all of this stuff. And as I was sitting there rifling through these things, there's this sense of loss that came over me. And those of you that have lost someone, someone who's died that you miss, as you go through their stuff, what do you feel? You feel a sense of loss. That's a real feeling. That's what death, our enemy, takes from us. It takes those of us, uh, those uh, who we love, and it robs us of that. There's this deep sense of loss. But notice Solomon says that death takes something else from us. It takes the memory of us from the world. Again, verse number five, for the memory of them is forgotten. So what is Solomon saying here? Solomon is saying that one of the things that death threatens is non-existence. And by the way, In our society, this is why I think our modern secular society fears death so much. Because to them, death is non-existence. You're robbed of your existence. You're robbed of the self. And so Solomon's saying that this great enemy comes to us and robs us of our identity. People won't remember us anymore. In the ancient Aries, it was the fear of annihilation. You get the sense pretty clearly in Edgar uh, Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven. What is the often refrain in that poem? As he thinks about his dear Eleanor, and the raven yells at him over and over, nevermore. Poe captures the modern mindset with respect to death, that it is non-existence. It takes away who we are. But the third reality is that death robs us of the future. Notice in verse number six, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. It robs us of our future. You know, for me, um, this is probably the thing I fear about death the most. Is that I won't grow up and see my, uh, if I die, uh, I won't grow up and see my children. You know, one of the things I want more than anything else is to baptize my grandchildren. My cute, fat grandchildren. (laughs) I know, I'm so weird. I think about it all the time. It's the one thing I pray for often. God, uh, allow me to live long enough to baptize my grandchildren. I want that more than anything. And when I face the great enemy of death, it's the thing that I fear that death will rob me the most, that I I won't see what happens to my children. I won't get a chance to baptize my grandchildren. I, I won't see all of the new things that might happen in the world. It's the ultimate FOMO. And perhaps you're in here too, and that's why you fear death. That's an enemy that all of us face. And Solomon says, there's nothing you can do about it. That if if one day the Lord tarries his coming, we will have to face this great enemy. And he's going to win. Now, what do we do in the face of this death? Well, modern society tells us that we can try and escape it just a little bit through science. I was reading recently about all the various ways in which modern man tries to blunt the reality of death, to try to fight this great enemy. And the first that I found pretty intriguing is transhumanism. You all know what transhumanism is? It's it's this belief that somehow we can download our consciousness to uh, a supercomputer. Now, it'll cost you a couple of hundred thousand dollars, but wouldn't you like to live forever to have your consciousness downloaded in a computer? Of course, it won't be really you. It'll just be a copy of you. But at least they'll have your brain scans in a computer. That sounds fun. Another way that we see it is through gene therapy. We believe that we can roll back the clock. That we can live just 10 years longer if we get the right therapy in our genes. Julian Barnes wrote a book called Nothing to be Afraid of. He was a former atheist, now turned agnostic. And he sees through the futility of depending on modern medicine to fight the great enemy of death. And listen to what Julian Barnes says. It's a bit of a long quote, but but I put it in here because it's so instructive to us. This is what Julian Barnes says. He says, we are all dying. Even the sun is dying. Homo sapiens is evolving towards some species that won't care about us, whatever, whatsoever, and our art and our literature and our scholarship will fall into utter oblivion. Every author will eventually become an unread author, and then humanity will die out, and the Beatles will rule the world. (laughs) I love that line. He says, a man can fare his own death, but what is he anyway? Simply a mass of neurons. The brain is a lump of meat, and the soul is merely a story the brain tells itself. Individuality is an illusion. Scientists find no physical evidence of self. It is something we've talked ourselves into. We do not produce thoughts. Thoughts produce us. The I of which we are so profound, so fond, properly exists only in grammar. Stripped of the Christian narrative, we gaze out on a landscape that, while fascinating, offers nothing that one can call hope. Let that sink in for a moment that when this secular world faces death, what do they have? Nothing. You know, Julian Barnes is full of wisdom because even he admits that as an atheist, when he faces death square in the face, he has nothing. No hope. No hope. Do you realize, Christian, that you are around a bunch of people every day that have no hope in the face of death? None. None. And that's why the Christian faith is so powerful, because it offers hope in the face of death. How sad it is that we have co-workers and and family members and people that we know They're facing the same giant that we're facing, and they have no hope. But we, as God's people, do have hope. We're not like Julian Barnes. We can look at death and feel hopeful. So notice, again, in this passage, Solomon not only causes us to look at our great enemy, but Solomon also reminds us of a glorious truth, that God is sovereign over death. Notice with me in verse number 1 of chapter 9, he says, But all this I laid to my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. So notice Solomon says that, yes, we're going to die, and yes, we face this great enemy, but we are in the hands of God. And for Solomon, you would think this would be a glorious idea. And it is, by the way. God is sovereign over death. It's in the hands of God. It's interesting. I read a book some time back called When When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It's by a rabbi. And, And in the book, he says something interesting. He says, you know, it's more comforting to believe in a God who sorrows or who feels bad about suffering, but cannot do anything about it. So in other words, he says he finds more comfort in the reality that yes, God is broken over our death and the suffering of his people, but but he finds more comfort in the reality that he can't do anything about it. And as I read that, I said, this isn't the Christian God. Because if you notice in this, Solomon says that all of our deeds are in the hand of God. Solomon knows full well that God is sovereign over death, and God doesn't have to apologize about that. That's the reality of Scripture. And in the face of this, right, in the face of this, Solomon actually is confused and frustrated. Notice what Solomon says in verse number 2 and 3. Remember, again, we, we have this reality that death is a foe. And so if God is sovereign over death, the death of everyone, babies and, and children and, and young people and old people and the good and the bad, if God is sovereign over death, shouldn't God conquer death? And in the reality of that question, notice what Solomon says. First of all, in verse number two, um, sorry, in verse number one, Solomon says, Solomon uh, He says, but all this I laid in my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. What is he saying there? Solomon's saying, wait a minute. If we all die, how do we know that God truly loves us and God hates us? I mean, if if we are God's covenant people, Shouldn't we all die? Shouldn't we all end up like Enoch and Elijah? Why do we have to face death? Solomon says, I don't know if God truly loves us or not because both of us die. Notice and uh, go over to chapter 8 and look at verse number 14. So it gets worse. Solomon says, There is vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked, there are the wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. What is Solomon saying there? Solomon is saying, if God truly loves us, and we're truly his covenant people, then why do the righteous die like the wicked? You know, in the ancient Near East, uh, you have these stories of babies being taken and their heads bashed up against the wall. Why does God allow that? And vice versa, why is it that the tyrant dies peacefully in their sleep? To Solomon, this is a cognitive disconnect. How, how does God allow this? If he, if he truly loves us. Notice again in, in chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 2 and 3, Solomon says the same event happens to us all. It doesn't matter if you're good or evil, clean or unclean. If you sacrifice or not sacrifice, it doesn't matter. Everyone dies, Solomon says. How do we know, uh, how can we see the sovereignty of God in this? And Solomon is asking, I think, an even more fundamental question, and it's this. What advantage is there to being a follower of God if we all face the same end? Let that sit for a moment, because that's where Solomon is leading us to. If you're a Christian in here today, you're going to have to one day grapple with that reality. If God loves me so much, then why do I suffer the same faith as the unbeliever? Now, let me say a few things quickly, and then I'll bring this to a close. The first thing that I want you to notice is that it's okay to rage against death. It's okay to be mad at death. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we end up having this pollyanna view of death, where when somebody dies, we say, oh, they've gone to a better place. Let's, let's have a celebration. And there's nothing inherently wrong about that. But, but, you know, the more natural reaction is to rage against death. You say, Pastor Dennis, how do you know that? Well, Well, what did Jesus do when he was at the tomb of Lazarus? Did did Jesus just walk up and say, stop crying, I'm here, I have this, Uh, just just stop crying, sit down, I got this, I'm going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. No, the first thing Jesus did was wept, because he understands that death is an enemy, and that it's okay to weep when somebody we love dies, it's okay to rage against death. That's okay. That's not a sin. It's okay to feel the weight of somebody who we love taken away from us. That's allowed in Scripture. But the next thing that the Bible says is that death shouldn't paralyze us. None of us. Notice with me in verse 7 down through verse uh, number 10. How can Solomon then says, go and eat your bread with joy and drink with joy? wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. How can he say things like that? How is that possible? Because God is sovereign over death. So we could enjoy this life. Oh, Remember when uh, David in Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, of course, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What what is being seen here in verse number 7 through 10? It's God preparing a table before us in the presence of death. Listen to me, Christian. Don't fear death. Instead, enjoy your life. It says here that we we should find joy and happiness that we should, we should love. It says here that, that whatever we find to do, do it. Don't let death paralyze you. And the exact opposite, if God is sovereign over death, there's nothing you can do about it. It will happen, yes. And there's nothing you can do about it. So instead of being paralyzed by it, then live your life. Enjoy what God has given you. Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Now, there's some of you sitting down here it's probably thinking, well, pastor, that's, that's all fine and well to say. But that offers me very little comfort. And I understand. Because in the face of death, we can tell ourselves these things, but it doesn't make it any easier. Well, I think that's why the Bible goes a step further and reminds us that once and for all, Jesus has conquered death. That death is a conquered foe. Notice with me what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, 10, and then 14 through 15. He says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now notice a couple of things. First of all, the Bible mentions that Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. What does the word pioneer mean? I I think they should have used a different word. A better word there is champion. And now you begin to understand what the scriptures are saying. Jesus is our champion. He's the one that took on death, stared it in the face, and actually won. That's where our joy comes from. He's our champion. He has defeated death, and because he has defeated death, uh, we can now walk in newness of life. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. But notice the second thing that the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that Jesus actually tasted death, which means Jesus knew what it is to face death. To face his impending death. And we see this in the Garden of Eden, Eden uh, sorry, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, in which Jesus is struggling with his impending death. And we can too. But ultimately, Jesus freed us from the ultimate death that matters, and that's death and hell. And so when we look at eternity, we do not fear death and hell because Jesus has conquered it completely and fully. And that's the basis upon which we live and move and have our being. I want to end with uh, an illustration um, that I read about Donald Gray Barnhouse. Most of you don't know Donald Gray ba- Barnhouse. He was a minister at 10th Press, uh, 10th, uh, Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia And um, his wife died in her early uh, early 30s, or her late 30s. She died of cancer, leaving him with four children. Um, And all of them were under the age of 12. And as Donald Barnhouse drove his children to the funeral, a large truck pulled past them in the left lane, casting a shadow over them. And Barnhouse asked all of his children in the car, he said, would you rather be run over by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And his 11-year-old answered, the shadow, of course. And Donald Barnhouse said, well, that's what happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her because death itself ran over Jesus. And Let me tell you something, Christian. The shadow of death will cast over each and every one of us. but I want you to know the truck will never hit you. One day I hope all of us can stare death in the face and say, you may have my body, but you will not have my soul. That belongs only to Christ. And he secured that through his death. And so we can live in this world joyous and happy even in the face of our greatest enemy, because it is a defeated foe. Father, we thank you so much that the shadow of death can touch us, but the real blunt and the real power of death cannot. Lord, I know this is, in many ways, a difficult thing for all of us in here to wrestle with, But Lord, I pray that it might bring each and every one of us inside you today a measure of hope and joy. Knowing that even though death is certain, your redemptive power is also certain. And has delivered us from the real death, the true death, which is death and hell. I pray for the one that has not yet received Christ, that they might flee to him and have that assurance of life after death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. May we truly remember that and hold on to that. In Jesus' name, amen.